Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this feast. We're so thankful for the food that you give us of your word and your truth that we can hold on to and that nourishes us and and satiates us and gives us life so that we can extend that life into the world and proclaim your truth. We pray, God, that, um, that your greatness would be something that would captivate our minds and our hearts, that we would, we would live a life that would, would be reflecting your greatness into the world by the power of your grace and your mercy. We thank you that we approach you today in, in the truth of who we are. You know all of our life. You know all our story. We don't even have to speak our truth to you because you know it already, God. And yet you receive every one of us. You embrace us and and you remind us that you've always been there with us. So we, we are so thankful, Lord, for what you've done in this community and in this world. We're so thankful that we know that your promises are true and that, that you will draw us into this life where love love is at the forefront of our minds and our hearts and our souls as we engage this world with your truth. And we praise you, God, and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. So good to see you guys here today. I, I am so thankful. Uh, I'm so thankful for this, like, this community and for the new year that we have t- together. I think that like every year... I feel like I start out with some element of pessimism and optimism. Do you guys have the same, same thing? You're like, you're like, so much hope and don't put too much hope into it, right? Like, it's going to be a great year, but uh, be a little careful. It's a beginning of a new, new year. It's uh, important beginnings. It's something that I feel like I always focus on, like my, my plan for the new year, five minutes before midnight on New Year's Eve. That's when someone says, what are your new, new year's resolution, Right? And so you, you, you feel like you need, you have to answer that. And so uh, most of the New Year's resolutions that, that I've had in my life, I come up with last minute and then I enter into it in the beginning of the year. But, but we are going to spend a whole entire month talking about beginnings and with a special emphasis on beginning of faith or new beginnings in faith, meaning that every one of us, no matter where we are in our life or journey of faith, we have an opportunity to rededicate our life to Jesus, which is great. And so at the end of the month, we're going to have a big opportunity for everyone in the congregation who wants to, to rededicate their life to Jesus, uh, to, uh, to, be, to dedicate their life to Jesus here at this church. Maybe they're part of another church. They feel like they, they would like to engage in the mission of God here and, and the things that we're, we're doing here, or to be baptized for the very first time if someone wants to do that. And so if you haven't been baptized for the first time in your life, we want to invite you to do that. And so that's what Beginnings is going to be taking care of. And we are going to walk through essential truths, essential core fundamental foundations. Imagine like a building held up by four pillars. And if one of the pillars fell out, then, then you're going to have a hard time keeping that building up. And that's your life. We're going to talk about those pillars. And today we're going to talk about a really important pillar. And it starts at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. In fact, the Gospel of John begins with some word, three words. Does anybody know what three words the Gospel of John starts with? Who's got it? Who thinks they got it? That's a quiz. I'll take it. What do you think? In the beginning. That's right. She got it. Give her a hand. That's it. You win. You win some bread. Okay. You win some extra bread. In fact, you can have this one. This, this is a, got, got juice on it. So. so yes, yes, it begins with in the beginning because John wants you, to, wants you to understand that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. 
John wants you to have an understanding that that word then, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Meaning, according to John's proclamation of truth, that Jesus wasn't just born in the major, but that Jesus had been existent since the beginning of time, since time eternal. And that the very creative presence that made the world, that, that formed you, that made every little bit of your life or light or love, it, it, it came from Jesus. And so now John starts with this gospel, and it starts in the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19. And it's the story of this man, John. He's such a great character in the Bible. I like to refer to him as Nick Nolte of the Bible. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about pretty Nick Nolte. I'm talking about mugshot Nick Nolte. You know what I'm talking about now? That's who he is. He's like, hey, I'm John. Like, he's like that kind of guy. Um, he's rough around the edges. And that, but the weird thing about John the Baptist is tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people went out from all over the regions, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, everything. They all went out into the wilderness. Now you think Burning Man is a big festival. This was like the, this was like the spiritual, spiritual Burning Man, okay? They went out to Joshua Tree. They went out to the desert. But this time they did something that even at Burning Man they would think is a little weird and maybe scary, right? That's, that's crazy. We should, we should try this one at Burning Man. This, what they did is they would go up to this guy, John the Baptist, who's wearing a camel hair outfit. Now, by the way, no diss to you guys who wear camel hair outfits, but I just want to say that's unusual. Everything he wore was made from camel's hair. That was like his thing. He's like, he's like, got a gift for Christmas? Here's a nice wool blanket. Can't have it. I got to have only camel hair. That's John. Now they're all going out to him. And what they would do is they would tell John these crimes they had committed. Okay, like all the crimes they committed, all the things that they had done that would be worthy of the death penalty, some cases, or whether worthy of imprisonment. All he had to do was just whisper over to some, you know, centurion or some Roman official, be like, this is what they did. And they'd be carted off just like that. So they would get in the river and get in the river with him and he would hold them and, and they would say all of the things that they had done, the truth of who they were. You know, like you go, God knows everything you did in your life, but this is just the truth. And they would say it. Then John would take them and he would hold them under the water which is a frightening thing if you just told someone all the things that you should probably be, you know, executed for, right? He would hold them under the water. And I think, I just, this is a little creative interpretation on my part. I feel like John the Baptist, he's that kind of guy that would just kind of like hold them down there a little longer, you know? Just until that point where they're like, am I going to be released or is this, what's this going on? Maybe a little struggle, a little, and then you lift them up right at that last moment and go, like, you have a new life. And you're like, no kidding. I almost thought I was going to die. So that's John the Baptist, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people going out to the wilderness to do this random New Year's resolution thing, right? Kind of like us in New Year's. We're all like, oh, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do everything. It's never going to be, oh, it's going to be so good. And so, so we have this big moment where we go out and we're just going to like, tomorrow is going to be different, right? That moment of tomorrow is going to be different. So then it says, the scripture says this about John the Baptist. It says, this is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? What would you do if someone knocked on your door and they said, we were sent from the government to figure out who you are, right? That's what it was. We were sent by the officials and we want to know who you are. That's what John was experiencing. What would you say? Would you start with like, well, I am a um, painter. Or would you say, I like to play Fortnite. Uh, that's who I am, right? 
I, I, one of my New Year's resolutions this year is to play Fortnite for one day. I want to try it. I feel like I'm missing out on life unless I've tried this thing. So if anybody wants to teach me how to play that, I'm up for it. Don't. Okay, well, then never mind. It's a bad New Year's resolution. You got to try new things. So, so I feel like uh, that each one of us would have some kind of descriptor that would be something that would actually probably be who we are, but not really, right? Have you ever had people at parties go up to you and say, so who are you, Right? And what do you start with? Usually we go, uh, uh, I, I'm a, I always, I, ne- so I, I met a guy down at the Santa Maria Brewing Company the other day and I was sitting there and he says, what do you do? And I said, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and he's, he's like, he looked at me like, what, why? And I was like, if I told you, you wouldn't think of me the same way and you'd stop telling me everything. And he's like, he's like, all right. So we hung out for like 40 minutes and, and I was, he was an entertaining, fun guy. And then he said, I, he said, all right, what do you do? And I think he thought he was, I was like, an, uh, like a hitman or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I seriously think he was. And I, I thought about telling him that, honestly. Um, and, but then I said, I'm a pastor. And he looked at me like, I wish you had said you were a hitman. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would have been better. And then he stopped talking to me, sure enough. So who are you? When someone says, who are you? Do you say, I'm a carpenter, or I'm a business person, or I do this, or blah, 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 blah. You have all these things that say, who are you? This is the time of year to start asking the question of yourself, who are you? Get out a piece of paper and answer that, who are you? If someone came up to you and said who you are, listen to how John the Baptist responds to this. It says, John confessed, he didn't deny but confessed. I love the little, you know, the little, uh, I don't know, are those parentheses? I think so. Uh, I, he said these words, I'm not Christ. Right? He wanted to be really clear about who he wasn't. Have you ever noticed that half of life is figuring out what you don't want to do? Like, I thought about all these things I wanted to do. People would say, what do you want to do? And I was like, I think I want to be a writer. And so then I tried to write a book, and it was terrible. And so now I know I don't want to do that. And so then, so, like, there's all these little different things. I, I, I thought I wanted to be in, um, in, uh, in marketing or sales or something. I tried that. Nope, don't want to do that. So half of life was figuring out, nope, I don't want to, I, I thought I wanted to work at a zoo. I actually thought, that was the first thing I thought I wanted to do. And then a big owl pooped on my head. And I said, never again. I don't want to do that. It's true. It was too much for me. It was too traumatic. So I'm saying half of life is figuring out not just what you don't want to do, but who you are not, who you aren't. It's this continual process of discovery of identity. It goes on to say these words. They asked him, then who are you again? Are you Elijah? And John said, John said I'm not. Are you the, now by the way, Elijah had been dead a long time. So that was a weird question to ask. But he said, no, I'm not. And then John said, they said, are you the prophet? And John answered, no. So they thought he, they, he was like the reincarnation of these prophets of old. They asked, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And this is where John doesn't even say anything about himself. He just uses scripture. In, in response, he says these words. John replied, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make, make the Lord's path straight, just as the prophet Isaiah said. That would be a weird thing to say at a party if someone said, who are you? You'd say, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. You're like, okay, buddy. Do you wear camel's hair and live in the desert too? This is, this is what, um, what, what he goes on to say. Those sent by the Pharisees asked, why do you baptize if you aren't the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Right? They're saying, 
you have no authority to baptize people unless you're these three things. That's what the law says. That's what the officials say. That's, what the, that's, that's the rule book. You can't be doing these things unless you have that. And then John said, I baptize with water. Someone great, greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. He comes after me, but I'm not worthy to untie his sandal straps. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Like, like he's, he's such a down-to-earth guy. He's like, look, I can't even touch his, like his, his laces on his shoe. I, if he said untie my shoe, I'd say, oh, I'm below that. Like you need to get someone who's got more cred. Isn't that awesome? And then it says, the encounter took place across the Jordan in Bethany where John was baptizing. See, the first step, the first step is really important in life. How you start this new year is is critical. The first step will determine how everything else ends up. I want to just give you a heads up. In the first week of your marriage, whatever side of the bed you sleep on is the side of the bed you'll sleep on for the rest of your life. (laughs) That's just how it is. Or whatever chores you do in the first week of marriage are the chores that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Because there's those formative moments. I know this because I have a puppy and I got a puppy for, for earlier. Anyway, we got this new puppy just recently and I learned that the most, one of the most important things you can do is to make sure that you enter the door before the puppy, Right? The door of your house before the puppy. If the puppy enters the door, this is how important this first moment is in your puppy's life. If the puppy enters the door of your house, they will think it's their house and they will be in charge of the house forever. I've already failed, so who cares? (laughs) How you enter the new year is critical. It will shape how you go forward into the rest of your life. And so this this is what I want you to say. The first thing you can recognize is that John the Baptist says, I'm not God. He tells us what he's not, doesn't he? I, I, by the way, he's, he's not just saying he's not God. He's saying, I'm not the king. I'm not the king. Now, how tempting do you think it would have been for John the Baptist, 100,000 people coming from all over, the, all over the region, all being baptized by him. And then they leaned in and said, by the way, is that your throne over there? Because no one's in it. It's yours if you want it. John the Baptist said, nope, not mine. I feel like there's half of the people in this world that actually are seeking to be the Messiah or the solution to other people's problems. I have that problem sometimes. I want to solve someone else's problems. Come on. We all know that experience. And then there's other people who will do anything to try to get a throne, won't they? They will undermine, they will lie, they will cheat anything so that they could just have the throne or the office or whatever else you want to call it. The corner office even, right? Just so they can get the thrones in life. In fact, some people will be so intent on building their kingdoms that they'll undermine other people so they can just have their little estate, right? Their house, to own the house and to have the, be the Lord of their estate. Where, have you ever heard people say like, guys say it a lot, it's like, this is my house and it's my kingdom, right? <laughs> right? But that, that, that's so true. That's indicative of everyone, men and women alike. We're all creating these little kingdoms and we want our, it's, it's my desk, right? Whatever it is, we just need to have our little kingdoms that we're creating and we need to see progress in building those kingdoms. And the first thing to do is to recognize that we're not king and to recognize our place in, that, in the world. That we're no longer going to set out in the coming new year to try to build our kingdom. That, that no longer pursuing wealth 
in order to build our kingdom. No longer trying to, try, trying to walk around with some kind of inflated image of who we are to build our kingdom, but we are going to walk forward in the year with the recognition that we are not the king. That's the thing that we got to give up. See, in order for something to begin, we have to end something. So wherever we are in our life, and, and I realize that there are some, some endings that take place in life that are heartbreaking. But at the, but, but at the end, there's no better place for God to meet us with God's grace and mercy and love and goodness than at the place where we feel like we've come to the end. See, God loves to meet us in those moments. It's like our minds are clearer, our souls are more ready to receive the truth that God is there, that God's been waiting, that God will catch you, that God's kingdom is a good kingdom, and God loves you. If you, feel like, if you feel like you've come to the end and you're just like, you know what, I give up. I feel like I failed in this. Last year was a terrible year. I try, I try, I try to set all these resolutions, but you know what, I just can't get there. And God's ready to meet you in that space. Listen to what happens. The next thing that happens after John the Baptist says who he, you know, by the way, one thing I want to talk about is humility first. Do you know what John Baptist keeps saying? I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. But what does he say he is? He says he is unworthy to tie the sandals of Jesus's feet. Isn't that awesome? Like, like he has, his great I am statement is, I am, in relation to Jesus, not worthy to untie his sandals. I love that, that John the Baptist finds his identity in who Christ is in respect to him in his station in his life. That's awesome. Listen to how this continues. It says these words, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said, he who comes after me is really greater than me because he existed before me. Even I didn't recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be made known to Israel. John testified, I saw the spirit coming down from heaven like a dove and it rested on him. Now, in all of the scriptures, this moment is captured. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels, and each one of them tells about the life of the story of Jesus. Oh, did I say that right? I didn't, did I? The story of the life of Jesus. The life of the story of Jesus is something else, but the story of the life of Jesus is, is all of them start with this baptism of Jesus, where Jesus goes under the water. How, who knows how long John the Baptist enjoyed holding him down there for? And as soon as he comes up with the water, the heavens break open, and something like a dove. Now, in all the artwork, you see a dove. It's not a dove. It's something that's like a dove that is floating down from heaven and landing on Jesus that we know to be the Holy Spirit. And a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son whom I love. Actually, this, in this scripture, it says something different. The voice from heaven says, the one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this, is one, this one is God's son. When Jesus was asked who he was, and he was always asked that question, who are you? Who are you? They always had these ideas about who he was. One time he was at dinner. He was with his disciples. He was with some people who, who were broken. Everybody said, you shouldn't eat with those people because they're, they're scumbags, right? What does Jesus do? Jesus leans into all these people and he says, 
I am the bread of life. And then they probably started eating and, and thought about that for a little while. Have you ever had a meal that like, you know, you made it and it's just like not filling enough, like there's not enough food there. And I cook dinner sometimes in my house. And so you know what I do when I don't have a meal that fills up people enough? Guess what I make? Toast. Yeah, absolutely. If, if I, honestly, I try to make the nicest meals ever. But you know, if, right, toast with butter on top. It's so delicious. I'm sorry to make you hungry right at lunchtime. But honestly, I, make, I try to make the nicest meals for my kids. But you know what? The, you, if you ask them their favorite part of the meal, toast. That's what they want. At those moments, I should really be telling my kids, Jesus is the toast of life. <laughs> they was all good. Back then, this is how you fed your family. If you wanted to feed your family, you knew how to make bread. If you wanted to make sure that people lived in your community, you would make sure that there was enough flour to make enough bread. If there wasn't enough flour, people would starve to death. Jesus says, you will never be hungry again because I am the bread of life. He says, have you ever want to have a full sense in your heart and your soul like you do when you're in your belly, when you eat toast? It's like, then you're going to say yes to me. Jesus also was with his disciples one time and they were drinking wine. And while he was there, he said, I am the true vine. He said, do you think those grapes from Passover are nice? Nah. Napa? Nope. You think those are great grapes? He said, you want great grapes? You want grapes to come out of your life that are perfect? He says, I'm the true vine. That's where you're going to get that, not like something you've never tasted before. It's going gonna, it's gonna to transform your mind way better than this stuff. Actually, one time Jesus met a woman at a well she was broken. She had, she had been abused by men for her whole entire life. And she, he met her there and he asked for water. And in that moment, that exchange where they were drinking water at the well, just normal water, Jesus said, I am the living water. Anyone who drinks from me will never be thirsty again. Jesus says, if, if you're thirsty, if you feel like your soul is thirsty, then you find that in me. See, Jesus would always encounter people in the common elements. See, this isn't special bread. This is just bread. But see, what Jesus does is he takes it and he transforms it into a sermon that you can eat. How great is that? You're like, sounds weird. That actually, this can proclaim Jesus' goodness to your teeth and then to your throat and then to your soul and to your body and you can receive it and recognize that Jesus is that comprehensive. I've always, I've always wanted a sign above the water fountain that says, I am, I am the living water. As people drink, you know, like drinking through the water. There was one at my last church and this is kind of weird to me. The, the water fountain was broken. It said, I am the living water. And I went, oh, good. And I went, oh, it's dead. That's why I'm at this church now. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, they're a nice church. <clears throat> Their fountains are empty. Um, we have this opportunity to hear Jesus in the common elements of our life. And so the waters of baptism are this thing where people kind of say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, I just don't feel like they're for me. I just feel like they're, they're for other people. I feel like that's something that's, that's de destined for people who have it all together, who have it all figured out. You know, I love John the Baptist. He is such a... Do you know that when John the, before John the Baptist was born, an angel appeared to his mother to tell, him, tell her how to raise him and that she would have a baby even though she was 90 years old. Now, if you want to have a great setup for someone who has delusions of grandeur, have their mother visited by an angel to proclaim their birth, okay? Then 
His mother was commanded to raise her son in the wilderness, only eating locusts and wild honey, because that was just pure living. That was just like as good as it gets. And I was wondering, why is this the case for John the Baptist? Why is he called to live in the desert and to never go to a party? That was one of the other crazy things. Angels come up with crazy stuff. I'm telling you, never going to go to a party, never to experience a party. Now, by the way, you think it's cruel for him to only eat locusts and wild honey for his entire life. But just think of it this way. He didn't know what anything else tasted like, right? So he wasn't missing out. He was having a good life out there. He had the cookbook, the two-ingredient cookbook. It was famous. Everybody wanted it because it was like the new diet for the new year. Locusts and wild honey. All the nutrition you could ever want. John the Baptist was not only a, a, a man who had this pie, pious life. He lived the perfect life. He never sinned. He never hung around girls because it was all guys out in there, that ascetic cult out in the, you know, it's like this kind of thing, like to separate himself from any temptation. You can see people doing that in the new year, can't you? Like, hey, it's new year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just not do that and that and that, and I'm going to find myself becoming more perfect. You know that... John the, John the Baptist had every reason to say, you know what, me and Jesus, we should be hanging out. You, I got it all together, but I'll, I, I'll tell you what, through this scripture, you have a window into John's heart. Because I know that John was struggling and he was trying to be as good as he could, but you know what he always found out? Every single year he'd fail. Every year was a complete failure. He'd set out to be pious and to have his mind in the right place. And you know what he discovered? He said, you know what? I am unworthy to tie the sandals on Jesus' feet. That's where I belong in, in this whole thing. That's how good Jesus is. And honestly, I'm just a broken human being, is what John was saying. You know, there's a church in Las Vegas, and it's called Scum of the Earth Church. Isn't that a great name for a church? I feel like Highlands missed out. Like, we should, why do we call it Highlands. This last year, like this last month, we were trying to write language for a new website. Doesn't that sound like a totally like corporate-y thing to do, right? For Highlands, but to try to, try to have it have heart and, and emotion and to convey the right things. And honestly, it's been hard to kind of articulate who Highlands is. And people say, who is Highlands? What is Highlands? And we've always had this like, like difficult time. 12 years in and we're still trying to figure out how to say what we do and who we are. Honestly, the best way to say it is to do it, isn't it? Just be it. You, you can't say it. But there was this one little, uh, one little line that came out and I, felt, I found out it was really good. It said, we are the church for people who feel like they don't fit in church. We're the church for people who say, you know what? I don't belong in church. Church is not for me. I don't, I don't fit into those constructs. Isn't that great? Because then we're ministering to all the people who, don't, who aren't in a church. We've had above the store an invisible writing for years. And I know you, you should, only people, no, <laughs> You can't see it, maybe, but it says no perfect people allowed. And we've, we've started recently to extend that to leaders, too. No perfect leaders allowed. And you know what we need is another sign above the children's ministry entrance that says no perfect children allowed. You got a perfect kid you're bringing in here? Get out of here. We don't want any perfect kids. Or at least we're going to tell them, let them know they're not perfect. I love the one that we've been coming up with. We're going to be the church that does what no other church is doing in order to reach the people that no other church is reaching. Yeah. See, what John was saying is he's saying, I am unworthy to tie the, untie the sandals on Jesus' feet. What's so mind-bending about that is later in the gospel of John, after, after John the Baptist has been beheaded, but later in that gospel, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees before his disciples and he says, you can have no part in me unless I wash your feet. 
whoa. Jesus wants you to know that he knows you. He knows how dirty you are. He knows how messed up you are. And you know what he does? He wants to serve you and love you and lift you up and embrace you. Now, this is an incredible little moment at the end of the scripture. The end of the gospel of John. This is what it says. It's, a, it's, it's after Jesus has been crucified. It's after he has risen from the dead and he's appeared to his disciples and he's showing them the, the holes in his hands and his feet. Can you imagine that moment where they're just like, even Thomas said, I, I need to stick my finger in the holes. He's gross, isn't he? He said, I need to stick my finger to, to believe it because he couldn't believe it. This is what Jesus said to them. It says these words. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Wait a second. He's appearing before the disciples who turned their back on him, who actually are the reason that he was crucified because when they asked for one person to say one true thing about him, not one of them showed up. They all ran. Peace be with you, Jesus says. He doesn't say, I've come for vengeance. I'm coming, I'm coming to get you, which would have been scary. No, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them. Isn't that awesome? He breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Do you see that the beginning of the Gospel of John ends the same way it began? John the Baptist at the beginning is receiving all these people who have confessed their sins to him and he's lifting them up out of the water. And he's saying, you have a new life. Now Jesus is saying, the church's job is to actually be that presence in the world that is going around and saying, I am unworthy to untie the sandals on Jesus' feet and I want to proclaim that you are forgiven. To every person who feels like, you know what, those waters of baptism, they're just too good for me. You know what, those waters of baptism are for people who figured it out. No, they're not. Nope. They're for people who have heard of the love of Jesus and they have a mustard seed of faith. And even some of them enter into that experience with, with, with doubt. And you know, the Bible tells us there are people who receive the Holy Spirit before baptism and after baptism. Baptism is the symbol of what God has done in their life. See, you can't control whether the sun streams through the trees and catches your eye and shows you a beautiful sunset. You can't control that. That's only an act of God. You can't do it. Maybe you could close your eyes. You can't control whether there's some beautiful thing that happens in your presence and in your midst that just captivates your mind and your soul and your body. You just go, wow, isn't that incredible? Your response is only a response to what has already happened in your life. So that means you can't initiate it. You can't get it. You can't achieve it. All you can do is submit to it and say, wow. That's the moment when the Holy Spirit baptizes you. But I'll tell you what. When someone gets up in front of the church and they say, I'm rededicated my life to Jesus. When someone says, you know what? I am going to profess my faith in Jesus for the first time. It doesn't mean their faith begins in that moment, but it's like, it's like the words become, be, become an act of spiritual worship and they, 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 they preach to your soul. And when someone is baptized for the very first time, I don't care whether it's when you're a baby or when you're old, when you're baptized for that first time, that is God's sermon for you and for the world. 
of the goodness of God. And I don't think there's anything really that can replace that moment. When the whole community stands and says, we are with you and we will walk with you and we receive you and we forgive you and we love you. And so next week, we're gonna talk about one of the most important pieces of this journey of faith, of this new beginning. And if you wanna continue in this conversation of beginnings, bring other people into it. We are going to walk toward the end of this month where we're gonna have a celebration like none other. I love this guy uh, after the first service. He's, he's been in this church for the longest time. We've prayed together for a long time. And he, he never told me this. He said, I've never been baptized in my life and I've always wanted to be baptized. I said, wow, let's just do it. That's gonna be great. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the truth that you are the one who created the universe. Your spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of time when the earth was a formless void. And you spoke, let there be light. As our eyes are closed now, Lord, in prayer, may we recognize that you can fill our hearts and minds with light like none other. That through your words of hope, you can cast away despair. Through your words of truth, you can make clear all the falsehoods, the ones that we've even allowed to exist, that maybe we have it all together, or that we're perfect, or that we can, we can get through this life without you, God. Instead, God, we, we sit here in the truth of your love, surrounded by loving hearts and loving hands, recognizing that you are the one standing before us, wounded by us, yet commanding us to receive peace and love, and then to be those who go into the world and extend forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we pray for those people we have not forgiven. We pray that truly in our hearts we would grow into those people that are, are, are the forgivers as we need forgiveness from you. We pray that this, uh, this breath of the Holy Spirit that you breathe onto all your disciples would transform our minds and hearts and souls. And that we would rise to our feet as a recognition that you have work left to be done in our life, no matter where we are, if we feel like we've come to the end. But Lord, you have a message that you've placed on our hearts of love. You have a truth that, that we can proclaim into others' lives. And Lord, we know that, that there is no end with you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, that you are the one who is before and after. There's no place for, for people being ashamed in this space. There's no place for people feeling like they don't belong or that they're less than anyone else here. Because you welcomed us into a community that draws us together and, and heals us and looks us in the eye and speaks of your goodness and love and truth and mercy. So God, we pray that we would find ourselves resting in your arms today. With the cares of those who are broken and needy, those who are in prison, those who are in the hospital, the forefront of our mind because we need to carry the words to them of hope. We need to tell them that 
even though the world has cast them out, you draw them in. Even though the world looks over them and doesn't look at them eye to eye and doesn't welcome them to the table, Lord, you do. And so, God, we praise you, God, that you, you continue to, to teach us and that your breath is here in this space and your love is here. And, and even though we don't understand it, we receive it and we seek to live it out by your power and your spirit only. May we give up our kingdoms. May we give up our search for wealth and our search to, to become better and better and better so that other people would see us, but only that we would live our lives in your loving gaze and be truthful about who we are and speak the truth of who you are. We praise you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so rise to your feet as a, as a proclamation of God's goodness. Rise to your feet so that you can, you can profess and recognize that God has work left to do in your life. And we give back to God in this time because we know God just gave a lot to us in terms of our, our minds and our souls. And that we want more people to experience that, not just through the words of this sermon, but also through the ministry and the loving touch of this church. As we go to the hospitals, we go to the prisons, we go to the places of, of, of work and school and everything to, to meet people where they're at. Give back with joy. Amen.